welcome to Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, JP, and I'm here, as always, as always, with Father Chuck. There are, there are certain things that are certain and reliable. The sun will rise, the flowers will, boom, will bloom, and Father Chuck will be on this podcast. Yes. Um, so we're here. Uh, we hope you enjoyed our episode on the Jaws sequels. And uh, we decided to to pay off uh, your faith for listening to a whole hour and a half uh, about us just talking about the Jaws sequels. Uh, we forgot to add like a theological element. Um, is there anything you want to say just to kind of make up for that? Brother you know, Tom? actually, now that you bring it up, I, I, now now like my my my, my it's kind of going for me. I kind of wish I had, we had thought about this because Jaws of the Revenge actually takes things to a fairly like kind of spiritual place, right? Because the idea of this shark is now like spiritually destined and spiritually connected to the Brody family. Um, So in Hawaiian mythology, there's the Almakua, which is ancestor spirits and sharks are considered like the most like consistent ancestor spirits. Um, it's one of the reasons why sharks are not eaten in Hawaii, because as I tell, as I've told my boys, it says, cause you might be eating your great grandpa. So you don't, you don't eat sharks. Um, and, um, so that's why, like, I think it would be, that's why, I mean, I think there's something to that, right? You could play with that idea, right? That there's, yeah. that there's some kind of a spirit, right? In a, in a better filmmaker could have made Jaws the Revenge a movie about, like the shark is somehow possessing the spirit of Brody, like, uh, you know, Chief Brody and or something like that. And there's like something you could have done with it. This week, we're going to be talking about the original uh, Jaws, made in 1975 by, hold on a second. Uh, where did I put the... Uh, Steven Spielberg. Oh, yeah. I, 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 are you sure it's... Hold on. Sean Spielberg? I feel like... Uh, no. I have here Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, I think that's the one. Is, I, he, that guy, is he that guy that did that movie about, like, a truck or something? I, I don't know about trucks. You might be thinking of Stephen King when he made Maximum Overdrive. Okay. Anyway... <laughs> So this week, we're talking about Jaws and uh, the original, and I'm excited to talk about it. This is something, you know, like talking about Back to the Future, it's kind of like, I've seen it so many times, it's kind of like someone asking me to describe a relative in our, in our time together, you know? Right. I kind of feel the same way, and, and I feel that, I feel that Jaws, for as long as I've known you, Chuck, I feel like Jaws holds a special place in your heart, probably more so than mine, even though I love the movie to death. It's in my top 100. Extremely special place in my heart. Um, I I saw the Jaws movies when I was probably far too young to see anything like this. Um, I like my first cinema going experience that I can remember was E.T. and freaking out at the very beginning when E.T. is running through the through the bushes. Yeah. Um, and my mom had taken me out of the theater. And I'm almost, I, there's a part of me that wants to say that her taking me out of the theater is what put me in front of the Jaws of the Revenge poster 
and made me really whatever. But like I I had seen parts of Ghostbusters and it terrified me with the and the library scene terrified me as a small child. But for whatever reason at that around that same age, I saw Jaws and it didn't scare me. Like it really like like it intrigued me. Like the idea, like like I suddenly became really into sharks. Um you know, like kind of the way that like years, you know, years later, kids would see Jurassic Park and just be really into dinosaurs, even though they're depicted as like terrifying in that movie. Oh, yeah. I, I totally went through a paleontology phase after I saw it. We all did. Yeah, we yeah. all did. Um, I, but I was really like, I got really into like scuba diving. Like my mom will tell you, like I was just, like super obsessed with scuba diving for a number of years to the point that I can get you photos actually. If we want to put this on the episode, on the video of me in the custom scuba diving costume that my mother made for me um, nice. for Halloween at my at my, at my my church growing up. It was pretty awesome. So you, uh, you dressed up as Scuba Steve for Halloween. Well, just a scuba diver, predated Scuba Steve, but yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I was obsessed with all of that, and like the water and all of it. Like, so, you know, the, the thing is like, my mom told me like when she was a kid or when she was younger and she had seen Jaws, it terrified her. She never wanted to go in the ocean again for me. Like it made me gravitate to it. Like I just thought it was such a, I don't know, just such a fascinating thing. And to this day, like I'm so fascinated by sharks. You know, like I, I don't want to see big ones swim under me while I'm surfing, but I'm I'm very fascinated by them. Um, but like for the longest time, I longest time when I thought of Jaws, I thought of you know just the first half of the movie. I remember it wasn't until I was like in high school, ish, middle school or whatever that yeah, middle school. It was on TV one day, and I was like, oh yeah, Jaws, I'll watch this. And that like suddenly, you know, saw the second half, like, and it was like the age where I could sort of process the story and process things, you know, in a, in a more engage with the movie in a, in a real way. And when it got to the second half of the movie, I was like, so into that, like the whole high seas thing. Yeah. Um, and I just became very obsessed with the character of Quint for a few years. Um, but um, yeah, so it's just, it's a movie that's been kind of in the, it's, I think part of it for me is it was the first scary movie that I sort of tackled. Right. Um, and I just, yeah, I just, there's, I, I mean, it's, it's like early childhood memories, right? They're not necessarily crystallized. They're more like feelings or, you know, yeah. shapes, right? Like they're not that, and that's sort of my, my feeling about Jaws, but it's sort of just been in my, it's been a part of my life for as long as Godzilla has. And so like, I just have these feelings about Jaws the same way that I kind of have about Godzilla. Like they just... They're just there, right? They're just there. And, um, but yeah, I've seen Jaws so many times. Um, I find the movie super quotable. Um, and I think it's such a weird movie because, like I said, when I was a kid, the first half of the movie is the movie, is the, the thing I remember the most. And it's the movie that, and that's the part of the movie that most people who make shark movies think of when they think of Jaws. You know, not too many people make a shark movie that's the high seas adventure portion of the second half, which actually becomes kind of like a buddy story. Um, but that's the best part of the movie. That's yeah, like really interesting character work and, and, and story work is going on. Um, and so that's what, and that's what makes Jaws kind of a weird movie. It's like two movies mashed into one. That's very true. And it's, it's interesting because like, you kind of have to take that route. Otherwise it's just like, Oh, we just stay out of the water. Right. <laughs> we but build we no, build our all around our city, and the mutant sharks can't get to us, right? Like that's. But to be take the active role of like, no, this big 
like huge shark that's killing everybody. We're actually going to like stand in its way and actually try to catch it or kill it. You know, the up stakes a little, a little bit higher. You know, it's sort of a fight to the shark. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, in a way, kind of like a reverse King Kong. You know, mm-hmm. where it ends with King Kong, of course, ends with uh, bringing the ape back to New York City and runs amok. Um. Well, that's cool. And you still love it, of course. Yeah. Um, would you say out of Spielberg's movie, uh, Ouvoir, would you say that it's his, uh, his best or your, at least your favorite? I don't know, man. I, it's, it's, it's a, that's a tough call because I also, I love Jurassic Park just so, 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 so much. Um, and I, you know, I mean, Jurassic Park, the, for me, like, because Jurassic Park, I think is just a brilliant film in that it, it captured, it kind of captured and defined the zeitgeist of the 90s, early on in the 90s, right? Like that, that scene in the conference table, after they see the raptors, and they're eating the sea bass, and they're all sort of, everybody is laying out their thesis, right? Because that's the beautiful thing about Joshua. Every character is like iconic representation of a different point of view, right? This is such a 90s thing, right? Well, let's get people of all these different points of view together around the table and they'll talk, right? So you just get all these philosophy. Here's the mathematician chaos guy talking about it. Here's the paleontologist and paleobotanist talking. Here's the lawyer. Here's the millionaire. Here's the, and, you know, and there's that whole engagement around, you know, the problems that they're seeing um i just yeah jurassic park is just such a great movie um i think that might be my favorite spielberg film okay Um, but jaws is so up there so yeah which we'll get into all that so but yeah cool well when i i um this movie for me it's always been kind of just like ever present in my life you know like it's always it might be the most reliable movie <laughs> I've ever seen in that it was just always there. It was always on TV, whether it was on HBO or a TBS marathon over some holiday weekend, or I had it on VHS or on DVD or Blu-ray. It's, it's sort of like Tommy Lee Jones in 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 uh, Men in Black when he's like talking about this new format that's going to replace CDs. He's like, oh, I have to buy the White Album again. Right. Like that's just sort of like, oh, my job. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's exactly how I feel about it. I, I will buy every single iteration of Jaws until they stop making movies, I guess. <laughs> until they stop selling them to us in physical form. Um, but it's so like it's always been present. It's always been a part of my life. It's always it. it I can't not think about Jaws whenever I go into the ocean, or even any body of water for that matter. So anyway, I have a great fondness for Jaws. And when I moved to um, Orlando when I was like 14 years old and was going to Universal like every weekend with my friends, like my love for Jaws was like hypercharged by going on the ride every weekend. So I I got to experience Jaws every weekend not not literally every weekend, but like a, a many I, a, 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 a very very many occasions and um 
so it just always became like it's it's just an all timer for me, you know. And I think as I got older, I kind of appreciate it more as cinema, um, especially when I went into you know film school and it became sort of like an, an essential viewing for our class. I started noticing some things. I'm like, wow, this is really just like a masterpiece. And for Spielberg to make something like this, like on his first go around, as far as, you know, a theatrical feature goes, is like amazing. Let's talk about the characters. Okay. Let's talk about Martin Brody, which I'm sure we've talked about many times in this podcast. (laughs) Because we love Roy Scheider here. We love everything he does. And we love Martin Brody. And you know what's funny about these three men, Chuck, Brody, Hooper, and Quint? I feel like men of a certain age kind of have all three of these men inside them. Yes. There's something about all three of them that I feel like embodies Gen X, millennials, maybe boomers. Um, but I don't know. Like, there, there are times where I feel like I'm Quint. There are times where I feel like I'm Uber. There are times where I feel like I'm Brody. Um, I don't know. How do you feel about that? And it's an interesting thought, and it makes me think about, you know, is that part of the subtext of the film, is that this is the internal monologue of three kinds of men that we all, that all men are, um, in the face of, in the face of danger they don't fully understand. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, it's an interesting thought, right, because, yeah, because Hooper's the expert, right? Well, like, well, Hooper, Hooper and Quint, I think, are the interesting two most interesting characters for their dynamic in the sense that they are both experts about fish, but from different angles. Yes. Um, And, you know, Martin is definitely like, you know, to, you know, to play with the the theme here, he is the fish out of water in their group. Yeah. Um, And uh, I I, I, I just getting back to Brody for a little bit. I love that the, the, the joke about how, you know, he he's terrified of the water, but he works in an island. Right. Um, but but if you look at it from the water. Yeah. Isn't it, though, the um, is it like isn't there like supposed to be some backstory that he like he ran afoul of his of, of his like he ran afoul of someone in New York City. And so like they kind of had to run him out of town or. He or he had an affair, and him and his wife moved there as a way to kind of get away to sort of rekindle their. I thought there was like a whole thing about that, or is that just like the stuff that's in the novel that I'm forgetting? I, I don't really know much about the novel. Okay. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of mythologizing of Brody's past. One thing I'll bring up later. Um, but yeah, but Brody, I love Brody because he doesn't like. He doesn't really remind me of cops yeah i think he really acts like a cop and i wonder if that's just because like steven spielberg doesn't know how they act when he was a kid or that's just how he's maybe cops were just sort of better back then Uh, i don't know maybe in new york in the 70s uh, well Well, it's like obviously obviously brody is not in new york city anymore so like right, yeah. he's the sort of guy who just did, maybe that's it he just didn't fit in with the with the guy you know he got too jaded dealing with the Times Square beat and so he he is so 
he's almost Mayberry in a way. Yeah. Like the Andy Griffith show or the town of Mayberry. Like, yeah, like more of a folksy kind of version of a cop. Than, yeah, like, you could almost. Gritty. That's a good point. You could almost see that, like, he was, yeah, he's sort of. Like after after Andy retired and Barney became the sheriff, that he brought in this Brody guy to be his deputy. Yeah, yeah. So he has a bit of edge to him because he's from New York. But at the same time, he's I don't know. He's he's kind of wholesome a little. He's also got a wholesome uh, side to him. He's very family oriented. Very concerned about community. He's got that deputy. Who might as well be Friday Five? I don't know. I think I feel like that's the angle Spielberg is going for when he's yeah. making a Brody. Like he he wants him to be more Mayberry and less like Serpico. Yeah, that that actually kind of makes me want to imagine what if Jaws, what if Jaws had had actually been set like, <laughs> like what if what if it was Andy Griffith and Barney Fife dealing with this situation? Right. Yeah. Like what if what if Opie is the Kittner boy? And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I, and, and I, and I don't want to take away Brody's edge because that's that's what makes him cool. That's that's why you that's why you get Roy Scheider, right? Um, but at the same time, he, he does kind of have a little bit of a, a dopiness to him, especially when he's out on the water with Quint and Cooper, um, but. And I'm not, like I'm not trying to say he's Mr. Rogers or anything, um, but there's a concern to it. And I think what I like the most about his character is like once Chrissy is killed in the iconic opening scene, he is right away like shark, shark attack. Yeah. And he's out there. He's buying he's buying uh, signs and paint so you can so you can you know write stay off the beach. Yeah. While well, uh, not, well, not even first. Right. Well, he's also being informed about, you know, that the the guy is, you know, the hardware guy is, you know, got kids karateing. They're karateing the the fence posts or whatever. Right. (laughs) The karateing the fence posts. Um, (laughs) um, So, yeah, I don't know. I I love that about his character. Um, And I love he he's very good. Roy Shard is very good at creating. of conjuring his anxiety because the scene where he's on the beach after they pretty much told him no we're not closing the beaches down and the kinder boy is out there and pippin oh, god rest his soul oh. uh, is out there <laughs> uh poor one out for a real one uh f's in the chat for pippin um poor dog but that scene alone, when he's just like looking at the water, he's tense, like really, really, really tense. Like he's he's already convinced himself there's a shark out there. And that scene is so well, because I'm on the edge of my seat too. Like that scene is already like, it's already like, you want to tell everyone to get the hell out of the way. <laughs> because yeah. every time someone crosses his path, it cuts to another uh, angle, whether it's a shot of the, of the, of the water or a shot of uh, Roy Scheider, just kind of like, freaking out you know everyone's in his way he's telling everyone to get out of the way yeah it's almost like the wipes that you see in like star wars but yes. it's people right and of course harry comes over <laughs> harry. oh which is great um, well, 
we can't forget also that that scene features one of the most iconic zoom shots. Right, the dolly, uh, the dolly, 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 dolly zoom. Yeah, I remember when I did that when I did that project with you about all the different angles and stuff. You were like trying to give me the right terminology, and I remember you talked about how they pulled that shot off so many times. Uh, <laughs> and uh, what a cool shot! It's been ripped off so many times. Oh yeah, uh, well you know, like I said, we were we were talking about like Hitchcock and stuff, and how why are these kids ripping off Hitchcock? That was the thing that he, he took from Hitchcock too, because he used it in the in Vertigo, right? Um, De Palma uses it too. I, maybe got now, but that scene though, that scene where Brody's on the beach, right? It's more than just that. If I remember correctly, like that's more than he has more than a hunch that it's a shark. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he's brought Hooper in already, right? Mm, am I getting them mixed up? Because I know there's two beef scenes. The one where the Kidner kid gets killed, and then Hooper comes in. And that's the 4th of July beef scene. When the shark shows up in the in the pond. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, the, the, that's right. You're talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the scene is, it's the scene where he has the, you know, when he's got the black t-shirt on is the one where he's just on edge. That's right. And that's when the Kidner kid gets eaten. After, the, after, after Pippin, what? And Pippin. And Pippin. I was going to say, after Pippin. Pippin was the appetizer. Kittner was the Alex Kittner was the main course. God, can we talk about that Kittner kid's death for a second? Yeah, that's fountain I, of blood. I, I, that's so good. That's so good. Um, it's just a geyser of porn. <laughs> it's like a Tarantino thing. <laughs> and it's just in the corner of the background, like it's a, like centerpiece. It's just happening. Yeah, that's the terrifying part about it, because it starts off with, like, you just kind of look past, you have to look past people. You see the shark roll, like, you see yeah. that, that which is a really effective thing, because it catches your attention. Yeah, that's, like, the most, like, you really do feel like you're sitting on the beach watching somebody get attacked, like, you're, you know, but, like, they're getting attacked, but you're not really seeing it, right? Like, th that, to me, is kind of like how it would be if you're actually sitting on the beach and something like this happened, you'd be like, did that, did I just see that? Did I just yeah. see it's it's a hallmark of horror that I feel like is taken advantage of these days, and no one really uses it as much. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's terrifying. You don't see that much, but then like the raft is on shore, goes ashore, and uh, got those. Oh, that, when that when the when the raft washes on shore and his, <laughs> I, I think it was it. How did this get made? One of those podcasts did a whole thing about did a whole thing about the Kittner mother, and like, how old is this one? <laughs> and what's their story? Like, yeah. after like years, of, like you think about the tragedy implied in her story, right? Because she's an older woman, and she has this kid who's got to be like ten, right? So, like, they, it's like sad she tried all these years and never had a kid and then finally she you know late in life this this unexpected miracle happens and then a shark eats it like but that that scene where she's just walking on the beach alex alex and then the oh god it's it's, it's so haunting and well done yeah it is uh, it's i mean to me that's up there with like psycho so that and Chrissy's death too. I mean, we, we didn't yeah. mention Chrissy, the iconic uh, Chrissy being banged up against the buoy and then dragged under. That's kind of hard to watch. 
because she's like she i forgot the actress's name but she does such a great job well um, if you ever read the, if you read the novel is if you read peter benchley's novel that is a grisly that's that the novel opens with that scene and it is grisly wow. because you know you get her thought processes and you get like you know right. like you know like that scene when she grabs the boy and you see her kind of jerk for a second yeah like like her foot's gone and she like reaches down and feels that her foot is gone and then the shark eats her like it's it's grisly sorry i, I may have like, disturbed one of our listeners but... <laughs> <laughs> well not as disturbing as like you know when when hooper comes into town and he wants to look at the remains and they oh. bring out this little box yeah like his his reaction when they bring when they bring that part out, he's like, "Oh, uh, that that's it, huh?" <laughs> yeah. This wasn't this wasn't a boat motor. This wasn't some. Yeah, it wasn't Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Carcarian, Carcarious. Um, Dark. The the uh, the. Uh, you can see me splash water on my face. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love for, for, what kind of marine biologist is it where he can do an autopsy, by the way. That's I was thinking about that when I watched it a couple of days ago. I'm like, wait, how does he huh? Maybe he's just he's just he's just that trained. You know, he's been to many uh medical schools. Uh I don't know. Maybe because he is like the foremost shark expert. Like he 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 studied he studied like how to identify like how to do an autopsy on a shark victim. Like that's the only autopsy he can do. Like they can bring him in to like, you know, like multiple gunshots and he's like, I got nothing. Yeah. But it's like, it's it's like a scully moment. Yeah. (laughs) It's just his, his one area of expertise. Um, Yeah. But Brody though, like, yeah, you're right. He's, he's a tense dude. They, you know, there's hints that there's something going on with him and Lorraine. Um, I I feel like there's some deletes. Cooper. No, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about Brody. Okay, all right. There's some because I, I feel like there's some deleted scene stuff or something in an early draft of the script where it indicates that she's having an affair. Hmm. And I feel like at some point they were supposed to have it where she's having an affair with Hooper. Well, it happens in the book. Yeah, that's right. Um, but I think they wanted to keep it out because it's like the book. From, from what I know about the book, is there are so many moving parts happening. Yeah. Well, the log. Well, the main thing about the book is that the shark thing is actually kind of ancillary. The real thing is that the mayor of Amity has fallen in with the mob and he owes yeah. like he owes bookies money or something. And so like he needs the town open on 4th of July so that he can pay back these guys. Yeah, and so like Mob like owned like half the town or something like owned all yeah. the business. Yeah, so he's under like mob pressure, which so the book is about political corruption and and uh, which I kind of wish that had been a little bit more part of the movie because I think that add that does add an interesting layer to the you know the, it could have been done with just like a throwaway line, but it does add an interesting layer to why the mayor he's not just like I don't know I guess in a way it makes him a little more more. For the longest time I would watch this movie 
And I think about like, why is the mayor just so corrupt? Like, why would the mayor just be so insistent and so whatever? And now I look at politicians and I'm like, oh, I see why. Like, it's just, yeah. and I don't want to admit that something bad is going on. We're just going to keep on trucking. Yeah. And because they have investments. Yeah. I mean, most uh, of the people on that council, they own businesses on the island. Like the, the right. one very outspoken woman, she's... Uh, it, it's one of those things you blink and you miss it, and also like early Spielbergian dialogue that overlaps. She owns like a bunch of motels on the island. Yeah, and so that's why she's so outspoken about keeping it open, the beach open. Yeah, um, and that's where like Brody is. That's why Brody is an interesting character too, right? Because like you said, he's he he's this clearly like he was in he's NYPD clearly seems to not have fit in with the city because he lived in the city and now they moved out to Amity. Ostensibly has done this for the sake of his family because he wants his kids to grow up in a more wholesome environment or whatever. Um, you know, possibly some marital trouble with him and his wife that he's trying to, they're trying to address or whatever. Um, and now he's found himself in the midst of political corruption, which is what he kind of tried to escape New York. You know, like he tried to get away from New York perhaps because of, and now here it's all the way out here too. Right. Um, obvious as well. Like it's a shark. Like you can't just, just stay out of the water. <laughs> you know. Like yeah. Why aren't these people listening to me? Right. 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 Yeah. Just yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, right? Like it also reflects a very interesting thing about how people can't overinflate a threat too. Right. Peter eventually himself has said that if he had known what he had known about sharks 20 years later, he never would have written Jaws Um, because he realized how much it contributed to like the endangerment of these animals. Um, He actually wound up becoming like a respected shark expert. Um, You know, I read a really, he he accompanied National Geographic when they went to the red triangle off of South Africa and, and witnessed the, Great Whites breaching the water. You know, the first time they got footage of the Great Whites breaching water to eat seals. And um, he wrote this National Geographic piece about it. It's really great. He talks about how at one point a seal jumps on the bow of their boat and everyone just freezes. Because like, he's like, we had just watched these Great Whites breach the water to eat these things. And now suddenly this seal is just like on our boat. Like, hmm. like <laughs> a sea lion. And they're like, get off the boat. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but right, but like back then, that's right. Like, yeah, that was sort of the fear. I used that as a shark is a man eater. So, and we know it's a man eater, it's eating someone. And so we have to keep people out of the water. Um, yeah. And I, and I just, as a, as a sort of weird aside, in 2000, 2001, in New Smyrna Beach was called the Year of the Shark. You can look this up online. Uh, I remember it. Yeah. So I was surfing during that time and they, for like three weeks, closed the beaches. They wouldn't let people go in the water. It was so frustrating. This was the other side of it because it's like people got bit because they were tourists and they were in the, you know, they're in the shoreline and they're stepping on these baby sharks that are biting them. Like this is just classic shark behavior. And it just happened to be right. That there's just, there was like a higher birth rate of sharks that spring that coincided with a higher rate of tourists in the water. And it's just, you know, of the thousands of people that were getting in the water, 21 people got bit by sharks. It wasn't like these animals were. One cycle that was happening, but that was the big news cycle that was happening before 9-11, like right before 9-11. Yeah. And I just remember like, I remember just being angry, showing up to the beach and like these 
these you know beach patrol guys you know you can't go surfing you can't even be like why not like like we've been we went like we we understand they're out there with part of the social contract we understand with these animals is that they're out there and that you know like it's you know but it's like they don't bite us it's, they're biting <laughs> they're biting the people that are hanging out on the shoreline because they step on them right and they're babies that's what's happening here these you know, these aren't fatal bites they're like you know you get some stitches like but um it was kind of but it was weird right because that was the they were treating it though like man-eating sharks like just like jaws like we can't let people in the water because people are getting attacked by sharks so it's like well they're not being attacked <laughs> right. that's what they do um territory is being encroached on encroached on. yeah yeah um i mean they're in new summer beach is already the shark bite capital of the world so if you're going in the water there you're already kind of subscribing to the, the possibility of you know you know you're more likely bit by a shark there than anywhere else in the world so yeah based on the food chain at that point yeah well and what happens in those situations is just you know that what happens is the beach setup there is fairly flat and it drops off into like what we call the trough and the surfers there we jokingly refer to it as the feeding trough and so it's this little trough and then it goes to a sandbar and the sandbar is where the waves start to break and it just sort of kind of does that like all the way out um when the tide gets low bait fish during, especially in the spring, because there's all these bait fish runs, these bait fish get stuck inside the trough. Now the trough could be like chest deep in some spots, right? Like it's a, and it's, it's a cool play area for kids to swim because it's shallow, you know, it's, it, there's no waves hitting it and you know, you can swim in and hang out. Well, but, and then the sandbar gets really, really shallow. So these fish get trapped in there. Well, the baby sharks that are learning to hunt that have just hatched or, you know, cause a lot of these are, 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 are um, egg-borne sharks, not live birth sharks. But in every of these sharks, they, they get born and they're starting to learn to hunt. And so they get trapped in there. And you know, we're talking three, four foot sharks. And they just get, they get stuck in there and they go for the little, you know, they go for the little like, you know, mackerel or, you know, mullet or whatever. And the fish swims out of the way, but then there's a tourist foot like right in the way. And the shark just nails them because it was going for the other fish that moved out of the way. You know, most people's shark bite is, you know, about this big, right? So it's not a, you know, it's not like, Look, this 20 foot shark is like eating people. It's yeah. it's a little three foot shark that, you know, gives you, you know, basically a dog bite. Um anyway, this is a complete tangent. I'm sorry. Okay. No, it's cool. I like stuff like this. Um, um that was my real life Jaws experience. See, like I said, there's there's a there's at least a hooper in all of us. That's you know, your hooper came out. That's my hooper. That's my yeah. hooper. Yeah. But like if the shark had bit my kid, Quint would have come out, buddy. <laughs> yeah exactly um so let's talk about hooper let's talk about hooper uh i, I dressed love... up as hooper for halloween that one year it was awesome yeah. great costume um I that was the never... year you dressed as lucas right we'll just say yeah i was george lucas i think yeah, no I you, were george lucas, lucas, you were you were george lucas because you carried the video copy uh the vhs copy of, of return of the jedi that i had and i carried my dvd of jaws okay ask because i could point to the picture because i dress like i dress like hooper from like the back the photo of him in the back cover with yeah. my beanie and my glasses and my beard was out yeah when he first shows up i was watching it recently when he first shows up i just love him like he, he's just like you know he's in his blue jeans and his sneakers and he's got that that sweatshirt and his, his b cap and he's yeah, like yeah sweatshirt. this is hooper he's cool he's got that rucksack 
on him, you know? He doesn't look like, you know, uh, you know, Quentin makes fun of him so much, but, like, you got a money your whole life. He doesn't look, you know? Right. He looks like, you know, like he belongs, he belongs on uh, on, on the ocean, you know? Well, here's the question, though. He looks- is he is he is he really is he one of these hipsters? Is he one of these ones that like he grew up with money, but he's sort of dressing like he's like a fisherman every man to try to fit in with these guys, but he's but Quint can see right through him. <laughs> Probably. I don't know. The, the 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 locals don't really like him either. They're all kind of Hey, you know a good place to eat around here? Yeah, take one step forward. <laughs> nice. Oh. Um but uh, no, I, I just I, I like I, Richard Dreyfuss is brilliant in this movie. He's um, something I, I love the kind of bro relationship he develops with Brody um, because first of all he's you know vindicated Brody that he's right. Yeah, it is a shark, and like it's not just any shark. It's it's like this is a, this is a very big rogue, right? He's a rogue shark, right? Is that what they call it? He calls it he calls it rogue shark, but that's I mean male great whites. That's that's what I mean they you know like like I mentioned last episode, great white sharks, their range is the entire ocean. Like they don't stay in one spot. Yeah. They travel. That's really cool. Um but I don't know, to see him like kind of back up Grody, it's fun. And they go out and to uh look for for uh Guy Gardner. Um <laughs> No, they look for for Ben Gardner, and Brody's like, "You can go by yourself." He's like, "No, you're coming with me." And like, they 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 only just met. He's already like trying to get Brody on the water and stuff. I don't know. I, I like their 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 bros like right off the bat. I like right, that. and he's like, and of course, you know, and that's when he's got that great scene where Brody opens that bottle of wine. Yeah, Hooper <laughs> breaks. He's like, "Well, they want to let that breathe a little," and he just like fills. Like a pint glass to the brim, yeah, with wine. <laughs> yeah. Hooper likes to drink. That's that's something I, I noticed. Oh, no, well, no, Brody is the one who does that. But but I know, but Hooper does too. Like every time he, he's he's just he's always getting drunk with people. This, this, this is the thing I think. Yeah. But, um, I mean that's his way. I guess that's his way of like breaking the ice and bonding with people because that's how he bonds with him and Ellen is like bringing that wine. And he bonds with Quint when they're because Brody doesn't get drunk in that scene. It's just him and Quint. Yeah. So that's that that's that's how Hooper becomes friends with people. He he gets them drunk. <laughs> and then while he's drunk, they go out looking for Ben Gardner. Which is a, a, such a great everyone. Like, I, that's like one of those famous jump scenes in like all of Hollywood. People still talk about how I don't care how many times you've seen Jaws, it still kind of gets you. It does. It gets me. I watched it a couple of days ago, and it's still like I know it's going to happen, and I that that sound effect. And that green light is a like, underwater green light just adds to it. Um, Which was I, filmed uh, in their pool, I think. Yeah. In someone's swimming pool. Yeah. Maybe that adds maybe that adds to your fear of the the, the pool light because the pool light is the light they're using. Maybe, yeah. Oh God, it's it's hitting you on a primal level. Yeah, that is such an eerie scene. Now that I think about it, it's just like especially it's scary. High. Yeah, and he drops the tooth. I love that. Like, 
going back to the mayor, right, to report all this. They're like, yeah, we found Ben Garner's boat. He's dead. I found a tooth the size of a shot glass. There we go. He's like, I pulled out a tooth the size of a shot glass. And the mayor is like, do you have it? He's like, oh, I, I dropped it. And of course, that's not enough for the mayor. But I mean, like, Ben Gardner is missing a head. <laughs> I don't know. Like, how can you? Was that a propeller? Was that a, 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 a boat, a boating propeller accident too, mayor? Yeah. How do you just? Yeah. How do you justify that? That death, right? Yeah. The shark broke through the hull of his no, boat. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's why these uh, the mayor sucks. Um, I mean, look at his terrible jackets, that guy. It's a used car. I like with the anchors on it. The what? Oh, the anchors? That one's kind of cool. I'll give you that one. Very preppy, but I'll give it. That's the one he's wearing when they make the comment about, like, the kids who graffiti or who uh, vandalized the billboard with the shark fin. Yeah. I love that scene, too. That, that scene always stuck out to me, too. And Hoover's like, take a look at those proportions. Those are correct. Yeah. Um... That's a a, a sizable. I mean, think about that. Like, is that a gray white tooth you got there? It's actually a megalodon tooth. It's an actual megalodon fossil. I, uh, I, I, I just found it at like an antique shop. Cool. Bought it and carried it around for years. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you're looking at like that's about the size, right? Like this is. Yeah. Serrated. I mean, imagine that. Like, like, like a hundred of these. Anyway. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I love Hooper. I think Dreyfus is really brilliant in the role. I think it actually might be my favorite role of his. Uh, and he's been in a lot of movies, but I think that might be his best. I yeah. still think. And then, of course, Quint. Oh, bro. Quint. This guy what? that they, they, pull, they pulled him out of. They pulled him out of, like, out of like a Nathaniel Hawthorne novel and then got him and then got him super drunk on Coors beer <laughs> and turned him loose on the people of Amity. Yeah. Um, I love Quint. I love um, God, what damn, what's the guy? What's the actor's name? It's, it's going to bug me. I don't remember right now. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, who apparently was just wasn't exactly acting in this movie, from what I gather. Um, he was hammered drunk the entire film. Apparently was like incredibly difficult to work with. Yeah. Um, but then completely ad lib the Indianapolis story, right? No. No. The Indianapolis story was written by, uh, improvised and then written by John Milius. Okay. But, I mean, that's up for... I mean, apparently no one really knows. That's just one of the things that circulates in, in, in like, all these circles. So, like, some people said Robert Shaw improvised the whole thing. Some people said that, no, eventually wrote it, and Robert Shaw, like, worked it. And, and so it's like, no, Spielberg literally was like, I need something for this speech. Um... And Milius like just did it on the phone. 
but I'm mythologizing that these are these are the early days of filmmaking when like you know <laughs> you didn't have you were recording anything. Um, yeah, I Quint is great because Quint's a character like the, the story structure of Jaws is interesting because you know it, it, there's this sort of like the shark itself, right? There's this gradual reveal of the thing, and there's this gradual reveal of the character of Quint because he's in the background. Right. Throughout the first half of the movie, he pops up, you know, famous scene in the, in the town meeting where he scrapes his nails on the chalkboard and is all like, you know, I get you shack for you. Um, and tail. No name ding. Um, <laughs> my friends, I used to quote that. I'll used to quote him to each other, to ourselves all the time. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, that's when they finally are like, you can catch the shark, and he's like, I can do it, you know. They they yeah. finally listen to him, and this is again right. This is where Quint's another interesting character because he's like Brody. If people had just listened to him the first time, they might be a whole different situation. Right. Um, and I do like that Quint doesn't like Hooper because Hooper is a fish expert just like him, but he comes with all this like fancy book learning. Do you think, though, that he might have been, like, kind of purposefully prodding him just to kind of, like, I don't know, it's sort of like a way to, like, haze him, I guess? I think so, definitely. I think he's definitely trying to get a rise out of him. And yeah. trying to do it to everybody, and Brody, too, in a way. Yeah. Making comments about Ellen. <laughs> he's singing all those sea shanties just around Ellen. Oh man, the sea the sea shanties are great. <laughs> What's the one about uh, the story of something something Lee? She lived to be a hundred and three. Yeah, not a bad age in this vicinity. Yeah, um, losing her virginity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> here's the drink. Here's the swim with bow legged women. That's a great one. Yeah. Uh, farewell and adieu to ye fair Spanish ladies. <laughs> um, yeah. All timers. No, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's rolled. I think like he's kind of like the Obi Wan, right? In this mm -hmm. movie, he's sort of that iconic, sort of classical character that you need that to be played by. I feel like that was sort of a regular thing happening in the '70s, where it's like you had a new movie with a fresh cast, a cool new story, cool studio film, but you brought in like that one veteran actor to play that one big juicy role for like the prestige and just to kind of give it that. Mm -hmm. And and you know Robert Shaw is definitely that as as, as Quint is definitely that Alec Guinness as Obi Wan Donald Pleasance as uh, Loomis and Halloween. It, it, that's kind of the, the trend yeah. though back then. And it definitely adds something right because because Robert Shaw comes across as a guy who's he he's seen some stuff. That's why I said like he's not exactly acting in this movie. I don't no. think. <laughs> um, you know, I get. I, I don't know. There's something about Robert Shaw that I just sort of feel like if I if I were to have seen him on the weekends, he's Quint. Like that's just <laughs> probably. No. Um, but and 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 you know, given his pedigree as an actor, when he tells that Indianapolis story, there's like a real. You get the real sense that like that's something he's been through. Even though like he, you know, you you know, as Robert Shaw is like he may have made the movie about that story, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, right? Like not that he really did, but you know, it's like. Even though like he he doesn't he's not a real war veteran, but 
because he's played soldiers and he's played in those things. Like he's got that kind of, you know, if right. believe it, you buy it. Um, I, what, my two things is about Quinn real quick though, is, you know, why, why didn't they use, I guess Hooper's boat isn't set up for catching the shark. And I guess that's why they use the Orca. But also what happened to Quinn's little buddy? Yeah, I know. I was just thinking of that. The guy who's walking around with the dog. He's got his, his life his life partner. Like why didn't they bring <laughs> why didn't they bring his husband along? That's <laughs> it's his husband. Well, you know, he you gotta leave your 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 sweetheart behind, right? He's you know, he every day he's uh by that C B radio listening in. Just well, that's uh, true. <laughs> Frank he comes home, you know. <laughs> In fact, that's why he destroys the radio. That's why Quint destroys the radio in the Orca. He's had, he's on the out with the missus. Yeah. <laughs> the mister. Um, with that weird sawed-off baseball bat. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. It's a um, fish club. I mean, that's what that's for. You know, that, 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 that bat he's got is there to beat the bash in the brains of big fish that he catches. Okay. Well, the more you know. Yeah. Um... I, that's the thing is like Quentin, Quentin, I, I, I've loved the Orca as a boat my whole life. I've loved, I've loved Quint. Quint's the guy that like anytime I'm in a, like down in like fishing areas, like I want to see Quint. Right. Like that's the guy I want to see. I want to see the guy who's going to say lewd jokes in front of my kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got, he's got, you know, a bunch of like handmade fishing gear. Um, I feel like there was a time where you and I ran into a, a Quint at a, at a, at O'Shea's because there was a guy who was teaching us all kinds of really lewd shanties and toasts. I don't remember this. I do because I brought up here's a swim and bow-legged women. And he was like, that's from Jaws. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I, I, I think of that guy, that guy who like may have lived in the beer cooler at the bait shop. Yeah. Do you remember that bait shop we used to get beer from? And there was that guy who like, he would just sort of emerge, he'd emerge, <laughs> get a rope belt, and he would emerge from the cooler and like be like, try these beers. And you'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I kind of have to now if I want to be recognized as a man, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Like, cause that's, that's a, that bait shop was the sort of place where Quint hung out, right? Like that's, you know, I, um, I had a, a friend of mine, um, former friend of mine who, um, told me about when he was surfing, um, in, uh, Sebastian Inlet in the seventies, there was the myth of the Chinugas Express, right? The Chinugas Express was a 14 to 17 foot hammerhead shark that, all servers and fishers of a certain generation in central Florida know about. And he, Eddie told me, he was like, I was talking to my buddies in the parking lot. We were going surfing. We were talking about the Chinooga's Express. And he said, this basically this, like, this guy, he described him basically as Quint, but like if Quint had an eye patch. And he's just like, oh, you, you want to know about the Chinooga's Express? I'll show you the Chinooga's Express. And he pulls out a quad hook that he had made from rebar, right? This is the kind of stuff I see Quint doing, right? He gets some rebar and makes his own hooks. He doesn't buy something from the store. He makes it. And it's a quad hook, right? It's, you know, four hooks, right? It's, it's just a big hook. And one of, the, one of the hooks is broken off, and the other one is bent straight. Wow. And the guy's like, 
That's the Shenigas Express. <laughs> Sometimes I miss Florida, dude. <laughs> being near an ocean, being around dude. people. Like yeah, you know, I feel bad for poor Quinn because he's probably a few years away from like being able to like take that boat down to Key West and just sort of live out the rest of his days with his husband. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that was the 70s, man. Key West, the Navy had pulled out. So like, yeah, by a city block for like hundreds a, of bucks. Yeah. Um, but let's let's talk about the second half of the movie. Yeah, the high seas adventure, which is so much fun. And I didn't realize this that I watched it recently. There's a part where when they initially are able to get the barrels or when the first time they start chumming, the shark shows up and they're trying to track it down. There's a part where Hooper's trying to take pictures of it. Yeah. And he's telling Brody, he's like, get in the frame, Brody, get at the end of the ledge. He's like, why? He's like, is that pictures for scale? He's like, but why? <laughs> he's like a... Brody's like petrified and Hooper's like trying to take photos for scale. <laughs> yeah. It's very funny. Um, things like that. Cause you know, Hooper and Quint are so in their element and Brody is like finally just out of it. He's the juicy. He's, he's the dork now. Right. And one, one thing I found interesting that is there, there's a bit of um, mythologizing happening uh, in certain online communities. The scene where, Brody, Hooper, and Quint, you know, uh, show me a way to go home scene. The part where they're showing each other their scars. Yeah. Um, there's a part where Brody pulls up his shirt and he's going to show, it looks like he's about to say, like he's he's kind of like looking for his own scar that he's going to show them. Right? Yeah, it's appendix scar. Right, so some people say it's an appendix scar and he's like too embarrassed to talk yeah. about it. Because that's his only scar. Because huh? that's his only scar, is an appendix scar. But some people were saying it was like he was shot there when he was in New York. Oh. And he had, and that's why he had to leave. Ooh. But I'm like, that feels like more of a Peter Benchley explanation and less of a Steven Spielberg. <laughs> no, because I'm actually pretty, I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive that the novel has Brody mentioning it's an appendix scar. Oh, okay. Okay. And that that's like his only scar. Right, which, which well, that's an interesting rank because like, you know, that it, it, there's that whole thing, right? Like, you know, if you're really living, you got to go get scars, right? Like that means you're really living. And so the idea that Brody realizes he hasn't really had a life, you know, here's this university educated marine biologist and he's got scars from thresher sharks and, right. you know, and then there's, you know, and obviously Quint has all his scars. And uh, and he's just like, well, I just my only scars because I had my appendix taken out when I was sick a few years ago or whatever. But if it's a gunshot and he just doesn't want to talk about it, now that's interesting. It is. I think that's interesting. Now um, I want to watch the movie with like, that in mind. But it feels more in line of what's what's happening in the scene. If it's just like, oh, this is my appendix screw. Yeah, yeah. It feels well, like something more like Spielberg would want to do. Right. Well, I mean, you can kind of take you can kind of take Brody's whole thing in that scene in the, in that whole sequence of the movie as like a commentary on like impotence or something, right? Because like he's got his little snub nose revolver that he uses to shoot the shark, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting Freudian imagery that I think in, in that you could play with um, 
in that scene or in that section of the movie. Um, but the part where, I mean, just, I love all the scenes where they're trying, where the shark is just like continuously foiling them. Right. Like, starts dragging Miorca. And Hooper is like, is this happening? Is this really happening? Um, or like when they get the barrels on him and stuff. And I love how it's just like a, a random scene. You just see like a barrel float by. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's like some like Wiley e. Coyote kind of stuff. Well, for, and for listeners or viewers who don't know all the Jaws trivia, the reason that the barrels were even used like the way they are is because they couldn't get the mechanical shark to work. And so this was their shortcut to be able to, because the fin wasn't working or whatever. And so this was their way of being able to let you know the shark was present. I mean, the shark is supposed to be as present as he was in like Jaws of Revenge. Is why we keep making those jokes about how often yeah. he Because yeah. it's like the opposite of like every single decision Spielberg made. Yeah. Right, but it works it to their advantage completely. Yeah, it's it. You know, take to introduce a little theology. There's uh there's a whole concept of apophatic theology, which is where you learn about God through what God is not. So that negative space, um, and that's how they effectively use that in the shark. You know, you you learn about the shark apophatically by where it's you know by not seeing it. Right. And like, uh, was it the great Jack Black line in um, The Holiday where he talks about, you know, two notes and you have a killer? You know, the, the theme, because the, the shark theme, the, the Jaws theme, right? It's just two notes. And as he points out, he, he makes a comment about it. It says, two notes and you have a killer, right? Like, because the theme is really well that you know the shark is there. Right. Um, Especially Steven Silver hated it when he first yeah. But then that they actually put it to some footage, and he's like, "Oh, this is actually brilliant. <laughs> this is perfect." <laughs> never, if there's any, if there's one, if there's any, if there's any truth in the world, it's that you should never, ever challenge John Williams. No, never. <laughs> I will say lately. Mm, yeah, it's true. The, the 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 Star Wars sequel trilogy. There's like no really like iconic music there. Yeah, he's he's kind of falling into the whole music is texture thing that's kind of going on these days with musical scores you know they don't really simmer you know yeah like Hans Zimmer yeah it's it's uh, it's disappointing uh but yeah the the jazz theme uh I I I love (laughs) I love that it's like it's it's like two themes you have the data but I I love that how he sort of injects the sort of the, the amity theme it comes in over the scary theme at times yeah. like it lightens the mood a little bit oh yeah it, when like in the whole scene when like the when the shark shows up at the orca for the first time and that's when you know they start shooting the barrels at it it becomes very like rousing like yeah it's like almost kind of like a. it, it, it reminds me of like um um fantasia with all the deer and yeah. cars jumping prancing around yeah um it's it's very it's and i think it reminds me of like 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 a hunt that you would right. see like and i think that's sort of what's happening in the the animation i'm talking about it's like it's, it is a hunt yeah well and it's the and that's where the movie moves from being kind of horror and into adventure yeah mm-hmm. even though like the most gruesome death happens <laughs> during the 
Oh, you're talking about when Quinn gets eaten? Yeah, when Quinn gets eaten. It's that's rough, man. And it's it's kind of it's it's crazy because it's like all these years, like you, you, I mean, we know it's the thing is just a giant puppet, but it's still like you know you got Robert Shaw has to like really sell it, right? Him like, and just like he's kicking at it, right? Like just yeah. the helplessness of him just sort of kicking at it, and then there is the this is one of the first times that I noticed stuff that you you don't see because of editing, right? Like is that the machete that he threw on the side of the boat, he grabs at it at some point, and he's stabbing the shark. If you see it, he's got it in the shark's eye, which if you're going to fight off a shark, go for its eyes and its gills. So, like, he's just this, he's doing anything he can to not die. It's that horrifying. horrifying. And it's like, right up, even when he's like halfway out the shark, you still kind of think like, okay, he could get out of this, right? Like he could get out. It's Quinn. It's that final crunch. You're like, okay, it's over. That crunch, and then it cut to him spitting out blood. Yeah, and then he gets dragged into the water. Yeah, the way he gets dragged, he's already he's like he's he's obviously dead at that point. But like, it's just like kind of sluggishly falls into the water. Like that's just great. And that's when the boat starts sinking. You're like, oh no. <laughs> right. This is when the movie takes on. Oh, this is when the movie starts like this is this shark is not this isn't he's not killing for food now. Yeah, because he's just, you know, I mean, arguably the shark wasn't killing for food to begin with. Right. Because it eats the dog and then it's just like, ah, that was pretty good. I'm going to go for this kidner kid. Um, yeah. You know, and now it's like I've eaten Robert Shaw and I'm going to go for you, Brody. <laughs> well, we did, oh, well, we also got to we, we have to mention the, the shark, the anti shark cage. Oh, of course. What a great scene. And like, Which, by the way, I would love to go into water. You go into water. Shock into yeah. water. Yeah. I would totally do cage diving. Yeah, me too. We should we should do it. Dude, I there might be they might do cage diving here in Hawaii. So if you ever do come like we could maybe we should do it. I, I think we should. dude. That would be awesome. I would love to do that. I, I have a friend. Who, <laughs> he would I have never. a friend. I had a friend who went to Ecuador and he free dove with um, whale sharks. Oh, nice. In the middle of the ocean. Yeah. And he said it was cool until the whale sharks submerged and it went so far down that he couldn't see it. <laughs> and then he was like, oh my gosh, how deep the water is. And he's like, what else is down there that I can't see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I, oh, man love to talk about scuba diving um but yeah so the, the anti-shark cage who hooper's big moment where he gets yeah. to put these uh, uh, uh to test has no spit uh to spit in his mask <laughs> um but uh, it's it's no it's it's a great scene and i love the the practical use of the effect of how they just got like a shark to attach to attack uh, a little cage with uh, a little person in it yeah that's that's so great and it's like i love that i love the shots of it like thrashing around on it mm-hmm. so, even though like on the surface it's like totally calm <laughs> yeah which by the way watching this on blu-ray does have its drawbacks yeah because you can see all the seams you can see land and so many shots of the orca oh yeah um, especially at the end when like Brody is on the sinking boat, it's like there's not, the island is like right there. <laughs> oh, is it really that close? Because I, I always, 
I always, I, I, I can remember those parts where you see the land, but like, I thought the whole idea was that they weren't really supposed to be that far out, right? That's like the concerns that the shark was taking them out to open sea. And so they were, that they were just trying to hunt it and keep it away from land. I mean, I always thought they were like out in the middle of the ocean or something. Yeah, because there's like this whole, that's like this whole bit is like at one point, like that's why, that's where the conflict comes with Brody wanting to call for help because it's like the shark is just taking us out to open sea. So the fact that he says open sea means that they're still relatively close. I mean, I guess they haven't passed Cable Junction yet. (laughs) Right. (laughs) In Ireland. Um, I don't know. I I, I mean, I know. I I always knew they were just like kind of out there, but like, and like seeing it now, like seeing, but like seeing so much of it, it just feels a little, I'll just like, I'll ignore that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, even that. So like, yeah, and Hooper is able to escape and almost gets eaten by the shark, which that shark is, like, trying to kill Hooper. And it's, it's terrifying. I don't think that actually happens to, sh- to shark divers, right? And uh, cage diving, right? Like, has anyone been, like, outright just, like, I'm coming to get you? Well, no, like, the, the, like, the whole point of the shark cage is that the shark cage is, like, shark-proof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but, but I guess if you're talking about like the size great white that they've got, and this thing is also right, it's a it's a spiritual being that has revenge at this point. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, it's it's the Kittner boy has possessed it, and he's mad like that nobody really tried to avenge him. So he's. It's like those two lions in Africa from Ghost in the Darkness. <laughs> Thank you for that. I think you, me, and my friend Josh are the only people who ever saw that movie. <laughs> I own it. It's a fun movie. Nice. Val Kilmer, Michael Douglas. I don't think I've watched this in like 20 years. But... Val Kilmer with his with his like band around his arm that he like insisted on wearing. I understand that was like a thing. Like he fought with the director about that. I don't see it on the back. Only the most incredible parts of the story are true. <laughs> oh what a movie Uh, anyway so like yeah okay so let's get to the best part let's let's get to the big payoff here okay the ship is sinking well do we need to talk about the indianapolis thing at all i guess not that's been you've talked about i mean we we talked about that it's like an incredible moment yeah we talked about robert sean how he sells it john milius wrote it i had that little tidbit yeah i know yeah i just didn't know if like we wanted to okay I don't know if we oh, need more in that scene or whatever. I mean, I don't really have much else to say. I that. did. Went, I went through a period of time when I was a kid where I thought that that like the the whales that it was like the whales that like because did they hear whale song at some point while they're talking? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So I went through a period of time where I thought that like the whale sank the boat. <laughs> really? <laughs> that it was the whale and not the shark. It would be really funny if, like, you heard the whale singing and all of a sudden it was like, yeah, like it got attacked. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a sludge barge over there. <laughs> yeah, they explode, right? The whale oh, whales explode because they get so. I learned about that over the weekend because I saw a video of, like, someone riding up to a whale carcass and then like all of its gust just poured out of it yeah i mean that makes sense yeah i don't mean like explode like dynamite explode but like, yeah, not like not like explode like at the end of jaws of revenge when the shark no. 
and just explodes. No, it's just like it just all comes just. I've got a. Oh god, do you want to hear a horrifying story in that okay. same thing? So, friend or colleague uh, from a previous church that I worked for told me this story about how um, one of her friends, they were when they were kids, they were out like playing in their yard and they lived on the intracoastal waterway in Florida. Uh-huh. And at the end of their dock, there was a manatee. And so she was like, she's like, I was a dumb kid. And I was like, I'm going to land, I'm going to ride the manatee. And so she ran on the dock and jumped to jump on the back of the manatee. And then she went into the manatee. Oh, it turned out it was a dead manatee. Oh, and it was bloated and floating. And she just like went like waist deep into this or chest deep into this manatee. That's gnarly. <laughs> oh my god! I'm just trying to get out of that. Guard <laughs> for life, dude. She is, yeah. Wow, the ocean is so gross. <laughs> it really is gross when you think about it. It's just all fish guts. <laughs> well, I mean, like all of us, pretty much all of the sand that exists was pooped out of a parrotfish. <laughs> That's true. I've watched them do it. Yeah. <laughs> they eat coral and then they grind it up and they poop out the inorganic material. And so what all sand is pretty much. That's why it's gross. You know, it, it, I, I, my foot's all wrapped up by the way, cause I, uh, I was surfing this morning and I, um, I wiped out and uh, I got wiped out. Like we're like, kind of two waves that come together. And so like I was getting rolled and like, instead of just waiting and letting the wave just sort of finish and let me up, I uh, decided to try to push up off the bottom and I put my foot on the rock. I ended up like on a reef and like push myself up and I got like some gnarly cuts in the bottom of my foot from it. And like, I'm like freaking out like, oh God, am I getting like a staph infection? Like I went to the grocery, like back team, like went to town on it. Because you're right, the ocean is gross. It is. It's disgusting. Um, beautiful as it is, and as fun as it is, it's it's. Um, but um, okay. So, uh, anything else you want to say about the Indianapolis scene? <laughs> uh, good scene. So the the the, the Quint is dead. Uh, Hooper is hiding behind a rock. That's by the way, I think one of the funniest things in that movie. <laughs> It, it this, shark has, this shark that has sank a boat, this shark that is that is that is penetrated with its face multiple boats and killed people. It has destroyed a metal cage. It shows it will go. It will stop at nothing to eat someone. Hooper's just I'm on a rock. Yeah, <laughs> got him. <laughs> I do love that shot though of the shark just jumping onto the boat, like <laughs> yeah. And now that we know that sharks like jump out of the water, it makes sense. Right. It, it can do that. Pretty sure though, the shark would have got like seriously injured by that though. Probably. Yeah. And maybe he was injured and like they didn't have to kill him. That's true. <laughs> they just well, they just gave it 30 minutes, you know. Like, well, that's how the that's how the book ends. They bleed the shark to death. I don't they harpoon it to death. How do they do that? They uh, in the in the book 
because that's that's what happens is they they manage to stick more barrels on it and then they harpoon it and it like bleeds and like suffocates from the from the barrels keeping it from moving. It's a really anticlimactic death in the book. But the movie, on the other hand, it knows Spielberg, old Steve knows, <laughs> old Steve Spielberg knows what the audience wants. Yeah. Oh yeah. And man, what a cool scene. Like, like this is where Brody becomes super cool. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just love the, the, I love all of the visuals of that entire scene of every he, single. He, he find, he finds his manhood. JG. He does because he had his little, he yeah. had his little. Well, he had, he had his little gun, and it was ineffective. But now he's got his spear and that rifle. <laughs> his little gun became a big gun. <laughs> the big M1 Garand, by the way, which is a very, um, very nasty rifle from World War II. Um, which I, but yeah, I, I love, I love every single shot in that scene when the boat is sinking, right to like the the overhead shot of him standing on the orca as it's sinking. He's got he's holding the the harpoon and the the gun, and he's like crawling up on the on the mast. And stabbing the shark and shooting at the shark. Oh, by the way, did you notice the foreshadowing? Foreshadowing. Uh, earlier in the movie, when he's going through that book with all the sharks in it. Yeah. There's a picture of a shark with an oxygen tank in its mouth. Oh, no, I never caught that. Yeah, I just caught that the other day while watching the movie. I saw, I was like, hey, that's how the movie ends. Um. But yeah, so he's got the shark tank in his mouth already. Brody thinking ahead. Brody thinking ahead. Um, but like, yeah. And so, of course, the great line, you know, blow up, blow up. And then. Smile, you son of a. And I love that they bury it under the shot. <laughs> and it's like the line and the music crescendos at the same time. Because the music pauses just for him to say the line. And he. <laughs> blows up um can you just imagine the audience when that happened right that had to have been like death star trench scene moment or like or like i remember one of the one of the times that i've been in a movie where the audience freaked out over just like a satisfying you know villain death is at the end of the fellowship of the ring when aragorn kills that orc that had killed uh boromir like yeah. every time I ever saw movie in theaters, people just like go nuts <laughs> when he cuts that thing's head off, and that that, that had to be like that. Right, right. It's a fist pump. Yeah. Um, that is a great scene. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's so triumphant. I I love it so much. It's where it's where Roy Scheider becomes uh all our all our dad. He's our he becomes our dad at that moment. <laughs> he embodies all three of the men in that movie. Yeah, that's true. He really does. And I, you know, and that's an interesting thing because I think originally Hooper was supposed to die. I know he dies in the book. Um, and they decided to let him live for the movie. Yeah. Um, Much like Mario Van Peebles in uh, Jaws the Revenge. Well, but Mario Van Peebles actually was like in the shark. <laughs> and then because they exploded it with the boat bow, he was Which able to... Why? Better than this movie. Yes, exactly, Charlie. Right. 
Right, like it's like the spear of Longinus. It like the shark is like Christ, and because the spear pierces his side, outflows blood and Mario Van Peebles. <laughs> <laughs> the shark is the anti-Christ and is the anti. I don't. Know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the shark blows up. People say it roars. I think they're just being a little too literal. Well, there's that. Well, that, it's it's that sound, right? Because doesn't doesn't Spielberg put the sound of like the truck from Duel, like doesn't yeah. he bury it sort of in the when you see the shark's fin go down? It's just like a little homage to his first movie. You hear the sound of the truck, like that grinding sound. Yeah, I, I think it's effective just as like a sound effect. I don't think it's the shark. Yeah. It doesn't have a head anymore. <laughs> right, it's in chunks. And in fact, it never had vocal cords to begin with. Um. Right. But, um, I don't know, but I love the part where Cooper comes back and they're just floating and... And they're just laughing. Yeah, because there's like, Hooper asks about Quint and Brody's just like, no. Yeah. And it feels so appropriate. I don't know. Like, Quint, I, lo- I love Quint. Would have loved to have, se- loved to have seen him earn his, his, his cash and go down to QS with his husband. Um, but for some reason, it feels so like this is how a Quint should go. Yeah, Quint isn't gonna die on his deathbed, and if he did, what a what a waste of a Quint. Well, the argument, right? The argument is that he went down with his shipmates, right? Because like, yeah, you know, he he's he's clearly living with survivors' guilt from survive. That's why he's living on the water and and hunting the sharks. One could argue that he has spent the rest of his life flirting with the death that will one day take him. He knew all along, right? Um, you know, it's uh, you know, it's just like you know, like with the guys in the U.S. Arizona, they die. They want to be buried with their shipmates. You know, he just he got to go down with his shipmates. Right. Right. Maybe the shark is Godzilla. Maybe the shark is the embodiment of nuclear war that he unleashed coming back on him. Um, but yeah, and uh, I guess they they swim back to Amity. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Like, well, <laughs> that's, that's where seeing the land makes sense, right? Because if they're in the middle of the ocean, like, there's no way they would have survived that. But that's why they're not that far out. I guess so. Yeah, and at the ending, they always show the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, like the two barrels, right, that are just hanging out yeah. there. So it doesn't. They did swim all the way back to land. <laughs> I guess they weren't that far out. I don't know. That ruins the suspense for me a little bit. Yeah. Well. Uh, well. Uh, well, but they're, 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 that's the they're, they're the line of defense, man. They're the ones trying to keep the shark away from shore. They're just trying to. Right. Uh, yeah. They, Right. The, the shark as a character is also an interesting conversation because, like, it's just an animal or is it? Right? it just showed up. It ate some people. And now, like, it's messing with these guys for some reason. Why not? Like, they're like, my biggest threat now is, like, hours away out in the ocean. Maybe I should book it back to the beach and just start nailing some tourists. <laughs> Listen, just chum all the way out to Cable Junction. Let nature take its course. Let Ireland deal with it. <laughs> like a big old bite. Uh, yeah. Can I tell you my, my favorite shot in the whole movie what? is um, 
when uh, that terrible actor is like, hey, what you kids doing? Um, in the lagoon. Right. When he's trying to climb back on his boat and you see the shark under the water. Yeah. I love that shot. I think it's great because it's not, the water isn't really reacting to him moving around. Like, it's still pretty still, even though you see this massive shark underneath him moving toward yeah. him. The, uh, the fact they were able to pull that off is pretty amazing. And that is, that is a great shot. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> His scream is great. Yeah. Well, and the thing too is, right, like you think about the mechanics of the shark, right? The shark actually has to turn on its side to get him, right? Because like it, it, the shark doesn't actually come up. They have the room to come up. And if it went this way, right, it's not, it's nose, you know, would get in the, you know, would get in the way. It's yeah. not in the way. So like the shark actually does have to turn sideways to eat. So like, like that's the actual like most biologically accurate scene in the movie. And that's what makes it so terrifying. Yeah. Cause like that could be happening under your legs. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, <laughs> I did forget to mention, I, I do love the scene where the shark is headed toward the orca as it's sinking and Roy Scheider is, sh is shooting at it. Mm -hmm. There are so many closes to the shark, and he is kind of t like tilting back and forth. Um, but you do see like a little bit of quint in his teeth. Yeah, it has some kind of like meat hanging off of it. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's a great touch. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, a little bit of quint in there. Yeah. Um, but the, the the one shot that now that we're talking about favorite shots, um, I love. I guess you can't really, not only a shot, but a sequence of edits. Um, the part where the shark attacks that guy you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then they drag Mike, they drag, they drag Mikey out of the, out of the pond. And there's a part where, where Brody looks out over the horizon through the bridge that connects uh, across the pond, or I guess it cuts off the, the pond from the ocean. He's looking through that bridge and out into the horizon. I just get chills. Yeah. Because that memory is like, like it, it just got real, you know? Like this is a real thing that's happening. Because the look of concern coming over him, he looks out of the horizon. It's almost like he's kind of sort of affirming, I have to go out there. Yeah, that's I think about that shot a lot, actually, when I whenever I like whenever I like look at a body of water. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's just something about like there's that it's that it's that mystery. Right. Right. Which is actually um, the that shot is was Garrett Edwards. Garrett Edwards was referencing that shot at the end of Godzilla in 2014. Really? Yeah, because the last the last if you remember the way that movie ends, right? Godzilla goes out of San Diego, goes in the water and then like you see his fins go down. And the last thing you see is the water goes still. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's the last shot of the movie. And Garrett Edwards was referencing Jaws for that shot. Interesting. I didn't know that. Huh. Um, I don't know. It, just, it gave me like. Like intense chills when I watched it the other day, because it's right after the entire sequence where he's like terrorizing everybody. Yeah. Well, and it and it really adds to the idea that like that's a big ocean. How do you find that thing? Yeah. Like it's a big shark, but the ocean's even bigger. Right. It's like you you're, you're broadcasting what has to be done now. Yeah. It, yeah that's really daunting. Mm-hmm. Um. That scene, by the way, with the guy in the lagoon getting eaten. There's apparently, I guess they they have filmed where he grabs Mikey. 
Oh, really? And I can't remember if the thing is like it was meant to be like he grabbed Mikey to try to save himself or like Mikey is in trouble and he's actually like rescuing Mikey while the shark is eating him. But either way, like it was deemed to be like really kind of disturbing and messed up. And so they cut it. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, and also, I think it was like the movement was just too smooth of the guy like in the water. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so. All right. So that's that's Jaws. It's Jaws. <laughs> A great film um, that changed everything. Yeah, the first of its kind. There's a lot of argument over what the first blockbuster is, and it usually comes down to this one or The Godfather. Um, but I feel like it's this one. This one. Godfather. Godfather to me feels like it's probably one of the first like oscar bait summer movies probably i don't know if it came out in the summer or not but like that but it has that right because like that's the thing about jaws jaws is the summer blockbuster yeah um it's a movie that feels like it's really trying to appeal to everyone i don't know that the godfather is like that kind of movie well for its time it was i don't know it wasn't pulpy but I wouldn't say it was like Beatty either, like Oscar Bait. Well, I mean, it's, I know it's no because the whole concept of Oscar Bait wouldn't have really have existed, right? Because that's just not how the Oscars were back then. But like I said, but I, I it just when I think of like like there's always two movies that come out during the summer movie season, and there's like your tentpole film, and then there's like Mystic River. Yeah. <laughs> and and I feel like Godfather was what gave birth to that dichotomy probably in summer cinema landscape um award season movie yeah that it's like it's it's big but it's like prestige big whereas jaws is spectacle yeah um jaws is such a weird movie too when you really like think about because there was nothing like it before you know i mean nothing like it since because no shark movie has ever been able to capture it yeah not until maybe like alien yeah yeah alien feels of a piece though alien never gets into the adventures the adventure portion right yeah. like alien and aliens together constitutes what jaws accomplishes yeah yeah i think this the summer blockbuster is very much what jaws birthed yeah um, but it, and it did it through, but it did it through a really interesting thing, right? Because the first half of the movie is a, is a, is kind of a horror film. Yeah. And the second film, and the second half is a, well, it, it, the second half is an adventure film, but all throughout the thing is this really interesting character study. Um, I don't know, it's just such a weird movie because it just doesn't. I just think of like when Jim Gaffigan talks about going to Disney and how you go to some of these old Disney rides and like they don't make a whole lot of sense because they were there, there was no precedent for what a Disney ride was. And so they're just sort of like, you'll stand in line for two hours and go into a dark room and look at a picture of Winnie the Pooh. Right. Like that's, you know, like, they, they, you know, they were just making it up and Jaws feels like you can feel that sense of this is a new type of movie making. There aren't really rules for it. And that's why it feels like two movies jammed together it's almost like the Beatles' um, "Day in the Life" song, you know, where 
you know, John, Paul McCartney wrote one part, John Lennon wrote the other part, and they sort of stuck them together to create this one song. Like there's like a, there's just something about that to Jaws that it's just, um, it's not the, I, I, in general, I feel like it's not the movie that's advertised, mm. right? The movie that's advertised is the first half of the movie. Yeah. When you, but when you think back on Jaws, you think of the second half of the movie. Right, right. That's interesting. Um, so yeah, and, and of course, uh, there's that great footage out there on YouTube of Steven Spielberg anticipating being nominated for Best Director. Oh, no, I, I don't know about this. Oh, yeah, look it up. I'll send it to you later. But he's like, he he's watching the Oscar nom announcements, and they get to Best Director, and they don't mention him. He's like, <laughs> he had like a camera crew present and everything for the announcement. Wow. <laughs> You see his arcade cabinets in the background. <laughs> Face invaders. Um, he really thought, wow, that's, I didn't expect, I wouldn't have expected Spielberg to be kind of arrogant like that. Well, it was nominated for a bunch of other stuff. So I think he was, uh, I should get nominated for it too, right? Like, right? Well, I mean, if, if you had to put up with that film shoot. Oh, yes, yes. Where they're like rewriting, Peter Benchley's on hand rewriting the screenplay. Like, as they're filming stuff. Right. Shooting out in the ocean. Shooting out in the ocean, you know, they pick Martha's Vineyard because, you know, it has this fairly, like, what, 20-foot shelf that goes out throughout, like, really miles out so they could they could operate the shark on this, right? But, like, what people don't know about Martha's Vineyard is the water is cold. Right, right. Uh, murky, prone to, you know, weather changes. I do love, by the way, Peter Benchley's in the movie. He's the newscaster. Oh, okay. Oh, the one on the beach? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That's cool. Um, do you know about the uh the urban the urban legend behind this movie? About the the lady in the dunes? No. I think so, maybe remind me, I think I've heard this, but there was a very famous uh murder that happened in Martha's Vineyard. Right. And no one could ID the victim. They called her Jane Doe, or the lady in the dunes. Uh, because that's where they found her body. Because Martha's Vineyard is sort of famous for the big sand dunes on the beach. Yeah. Um, and they believe that they can't ID her, but they believe that because they were shooting Jaws around the same time that it happened, that she could be in some of the footage of uh, everyone coming to the island on Fourth of July. Right it's possible that she's one of those extras or because well she's not an extra she's just because they were just filming crowds i see i thought that i thought that i had read that now that you're talking about this i remember this i thought there was a claim that she was one of the that there there's a belief she was one of the like hippies at the campfire before chrissy gets eaten um well what i heard is like it's it's possible it's during the fairy scenes because that's because they were just shooting oh. crowds. they weren't oh, okay. and i feel like i read somewhere that there was some speculation that she may have been the girl who was painting and yelled shark shark i don't think, I don't think. yeah but yeah. interesting Although, i we didn't talk about the, the her I, there's something interesting about her delivery of yelling shark mm -hmm. sounds like you could criticize it by being like okay that's a very poor delivery but you could also be like oh she's just like in shock like there's a giant fin in front of me like she doesn't really know what else to say Do you, who yells shark Shark? I've never had to tell that before. 
I I know we're supposed to be watching out for these. Yeah, I think I feel like I heard about this. I just, uh, there's, a, there's a shark in the lagoon. <laughs> and that's happening while they're dealing with those kids. They were like, those really, I mean, just delightful children. <laughs> yeah. He made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. I, there's something about that scene that I love too. Like all the cops, like riding their boats around the beach and like a helicopter, J- Jer- Jerry and Baxter's up there. Flying around. Yeah. <laughs> Baxter. Probably don't. Never thought about it. Um, he saves the lady in the dunes uh, because he was originally supposed to save Marge. <laughs> Anyhow. Jaws. So that's Jaws. Um, well, I think I think that's all I can say about the movie. <laughs> uh, here's another Jaws. Uh, I got another Jaws sequel idea. Jaws versus Predator. Okay, so we. All right. Well, while we still have time, let's. We should pour one out for Norm Macdonald. We should just at least acknowledge that. Yeah. Our beloved Norm, who passed away, sadly from uh, cancer. Who I didn't even know he had it. Well, it's like Anthony Jeselnik said, Norm Macdonald having cancer, dying from cancer after having spent ten years not telling anyone about it, is the no is the most Norm Macdonald thing ever. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just, but like like you, I've just been watching so many Norm Macdonald clips and excerpts from like books and stuff. Just he he pulled off the impossible, which is that he got funnier as he got older. Yeah, and and like, but but he was like a consistent comedic voice. Yeah, right. And what I do love too is his like in 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 like in like dealing with a heckler or even when he's been invited to like a roast or something, his like in like his insult comedy never feels personal. No. Um, his Bob it, Saget roast is, or not Bob Saget. Yeah. It's the Bob Saget roast is, is brilliant because it's just all softball jokes and you're waiting for like the big one and it doesn't come. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the midst of, cause the Bob Saget roast is infamously raunchy. Yeah. And he just comes out with G-rated material. <laughs> yeah. And just commits to it. Yeah. And no one in the audience is laughing, but all the comedians on the days are dying because they know what he's doing. That's the thing I loved about Norm Macdonald is he's sort of like Stephen Colbert in the sense that like Colbert Colbert learned he one of his improv guys told him to learn to love the bomb. In other words, like when something bombs, lean into it. And it will it will then be something. And Norm Macdonald definitely, like, if the audience didn't laugh, Norm seemed to find that even funnier. <laughs> like his SNL Weekend Update stuff, just oh, yeah. great. It's so good. Um, yeah. yeah, I was telling Kana, my I told my wife about how it's sad that he died, but there's like a weird thing that because it was cancer and he had cancer for 10 years and we found when we just all learned about it, that there's like this weird like solace in it, that it's not as tragic as it would be if it was like an overdose or COVID or, you know, something like that. Um, but also because like he never made like a thing out of it. And there is like this weird suddenness that like the vacuum that he's left has just been filled with more norm. Yeah. And it's been weirdly joyful. Like I watch all these clips of him, and I'm not sad. Yeah. Um, I'm. I get more of him. Like, huh? I, 
I'm, I'm sad that I like I won't be able to see him perform or something, you know. Right. I wish I had known. Like I knew he was always funny. Whenever he showed up on Conan or something, he would still like make me die laughing. The the last thing he did that made me laugh was just like a few months ago when he was like on a phone call with Roseanne and he said that he was gonna eat an impossible bat from now on. <laughs> I lost it. I was like, he's so funny. Which is you can't say you can't really say that about most of his other colleagues, you know what I mean? Like Right. But like uh, he was just he was just a, a he was brilliant. Well, and his philosophy of comedy is really interesting too, because I, I, you know, reading, listening to interviews and things with him, he's talked about how growing up in growing up in where he lived in Canada, like like stand up is just what you like. That's that's it. Like you you commit to being a stand up comic. He says, but like in the states, he's like it's all stand up as a stepping stone to like a movie career or TV writing gig or something like that. And he said that that always kind of bothered him that it weren't that these weren't people who were committed to stand-up comedy and so he's one of the last you know mainstream comics who's really just committed to stand-up right and it's really telling that he's both funny i think he's both funny on a, on a popular level but he's also a comics comic yeah he is i would uh, call him totally which that's a rare balance um, if there's anything our viewers and listeners need to like listen to of Norm Macdonald's The Moth Story. Yeah. Just any anytime he shows up on Conan. It's, it's gold. Like, yeah, but the moth story is is especially great. Yeah. Have you seen the one where he was on early, early Conan and they have some woman from um 90210 or from Melbourne Place? Yeah. Where he saves the interview. Yeah, and like, but she's also apparently starring in Chairman of the Board. With yeah, okay. Oh yeah. my gosh, the <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> he's he's like cracking jokes throughout the entire interview, and it's so funny. And he ends up with, "Hey, maybe board was was board spelled B O R E D." Yeah, because when they said chairman of the board and Conan's like, oh, make something out of that. And then a second later, Norm's like, maybe board is spelled B-O-R-E-D. <laughs> and the thing is, Carrot Top is actually really funny. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but what makes Carrot Top great is he's in on the joke. So, yeah. um, all right. Rest in peace, Norm MacDonald. Yeah, dude. Legend. Uh, just, I, like... Just imagine heaven involves right now Norm Macdonald, Mitch Hedberg, Chris Farley, um, you know, uh, that's not even including people like Bruce and, um, and uh, uh, what's his name? Seven, uh, seven, seven words you can't say on television. Um, oh, Carlin. Carlin, thank you. I wanted to say the Carlton. Like, that's you think he's in heaven? He was very, very, very outspoken atheist. Uh, well, I mean, I'm a universalist, so I think everybody is <laughs> there. Actually, actually, technically, I don't think anyone. I don't think anyone's in heaven right now. Okay. And I don't think anyone's in hell either. Um, maybe some people are in heaven. Virgin Mary's in heaven. Um, Just Virgin Mary and Norm. What? 
just the Virgin Mary and Norm. Maybe Farley. Yeah. <laughs> he's just breaking stuff. Like, he uh, he's tripping over things. <laughs> <laughs> Belushi's not, though. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, Chuck, thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I don't want audience for, for listening all the way through, listening us talk and gush over one of the greatest movies ever made, and give praise to Norm MacDonald, celebrate his life for a few minutes. Yeah, tragically, he was eaten by a shark. <laughs> That's so ironic. I can't believe that. Yeah. I believe he was in it. He was in an anti-shark cage, right? Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. So, thank you for listening. Uh, and, uh, hey, let us know what you think about Jaws or Norm MacDonald, or both. I don't know. Um, so, join us again next week, and we'll see you again. Good journey. Good journey. Good journey.